the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Have you ever looked up to the skies and seen something you can't explain? Or walked deep in the forest and sensed something watching you? Do you believe in an afterlife or a hidden veil that can communicate with the living? Then you need Shadows of Your Mind magazine. Download all issues completely free at shadowsmagazine.co.uk Shadows of Your Mind, where your search for the answers begins. <laughs> Coming back from the advert for the wonderful Shadows of Your Mind magazine, of course, uh, written, published, edited, created, anything you can name uh, is done by Dave Partridge, which is on the podcast just now. So please make sure that you're following Shadows magazine on Twitter, you're downloading the magazine. There's a lot of great content that if you've not seen, you don't realise, trust me, how, how good that magazine is. Um, so we're going to come back and go straight in with John. So Undead Gaucho, John, we're going to look at the theory of crypto and ultra terrestrials. So the idea that there are beings that share this planet with us, crypto, as I was just getting cleared up as well there, crypto, that the beings no doubt more technologically advanced than us, at least in some aspects, um, are here, have been uh, the same amount of time, if not longer, um, share the planet, and they are potentially buzzing about in these craft, or ultra-terrestrial, that we have beings who potentially are evolved differently, potentially higher spiritually on the chain, um, but again, that they share this planet in some way. And I think this does tie in a little bit with the dimensional reality theories too. And this this is one of my personal favourites, if I want to say that, use the word favourites there, because Lou Elizondo famously mentioned mankind, and I'll, I'll come back to that with Dan after I speak with John first. But yeah, so crypto and ultra terrestrial, what's your thoughts that we are not alone on this planet? I have to agree with, you know, I think it's a mix of both of those. It's crypto and ultra terrestrial because I would think they would be higher uh, spiritually. You know, they'd have a better understanding of, of conscious and, and um, we know that in close encounters, like supposedly they can talk to you telepathically and uh, they can walk through walls and do all these kinds of things. It may be technology that they're using, but I am a, like lately, lately, the thing is like over the years you go back and forth right? With different theories, different ideas, you, you start siding with one more than the other. But uh, as of late, I've just been thinking that they've been here this whole time and they've been here before us. I mean, I'm a big believer in the ancient astronaut uh, hypothesis. And I think that if you look at uh, religion as a whole around the world, and the customs that have sort of molded us and shaped us into what we are today. The only way you could ever explain that other than being a fable or being some sort of things like stories made up completely, uh, ancient comic books would be that they were coming into contact with the phenomenon 
and they were trying to write it down and express it and tell the story of what they were coming into contact with the little understanding that they had of maybe not the little understanding, the current understanding that they had of reality. But if you look at those stories, all those, uh, those beings, those, uh, those gods or those angels or whatever they were here influencing us before we even evolved. Right. Uh, you got the Adam and Eve kind of story where it's obvious that like, they're literally like in a, in a little, you know, the zoo, the zoo theory we were talking about earlier, we brought up for a second. That's a perfect example right there of like a zoo. That's literally like a zoo, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix of both. I think it's hard to ignore and deny that they've been here this whole time. And the same yeah, the same craft, same everything, you know what I mean? It's just and for me what and and Dan I'm going to pick up in a second about interpretations and how I've interpreted something Lou Elizondo uh, famously in one of his his YouTube interviews um, one of his, I think his early interviews, uh, he, he basically talks to the camera about what if it wasn't mankind, but mankind's, and you know there was it was it wasn't just us in the sense that there's another almost humankind potentially on this planet, and I think as well when Tom DeLonge, particularly when TTSA was first on the scene, talked about the the phenomenon having scary aspects to it, and I think one of the lines he used a few times was we would have to learn to live with. And I wonder, is he directly getting at the fact that we would literally have to learn to live with, we don't own this planet, It's we aren't the higher species, not in the universe, the galaxy or the solar system, but we aren't the higher species on this planet. We are literally the little brothers potentially to something else. And I think that's the route that's potentially gone. Dan, I'll, I'll bring you in at that point then on, on crypto and ultra terrestrial, because this is something we have discussed on a few occasions. I'm going to talk now so I don't have to edit out the silence that Dan left there. But yeah, Sorry, so no, no, that's it. okay. Uh, Dan, so yeah. I so, said the most amazing thing. You missed it. I can't remember. Oh, now. no. Go on. What was it again? <laughs> I, I, if, if it comes to me, I'll let you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I love both these ideas. Um, the altered terrestrial idea, I think, is it touches on something that, that John said there, um, the way we talk about uh, things, um, old stories um, in in kind of a mythic way. Um, and we'll often kind of use the same or different terms to talk about the same stuff. Um, so for example, uh, you touched on it, but the flood myth, we, we know that all around the world, the flood myth is common in lots and lots of different religions. Um, and it just points to it being an event, a flood happened. You know, even if you want to strip everything else away, a flood happened. When there was a civilization that wiped out that civilization, these are the stories we're told. Um, then you look at the science angle and they keep finding that we've been hit by meteors. Uh, one of the most recent would be the Younger Dryas hypothesis, um, where we were hit by a meteor about 12,000 years ago. Um, and that meteor kind of hit a bunch of other kind of rocks into the atmosphere that took out a load more people and it, it was almost you know a complete extinction event um and when you think something like that's going to happen you think people are going to go underground because that's what we would do and some of those people might even have access if they were a highly advanced civilization they might even have access to some of the technology 
they won't be able to build it when they come out the other side or show anyone else how to build it. But for a while, they'd be fairly capable. Um, and I think it's it's quite possible that the survivors um, from something like that emerged, built something like Gobekli Tepe to teach survival skills, um, agricultural skills, that kind of stuff, um, so that humanity could get back on its feet. Now, the question is, while we were doing that, what were they doing? They would have developed. So if we're talking 12,000 years and they started with, just as an example, a Tic Tac, what would they have now? So I think all of these massive kind of technological amazements that we see when we see these objects in the sky uh, could just be explained by people who went through a cataclysm, were further ahead of us than we are now um, and we're just amazed by them and they've just been living underground as they learned to do during about I, I think it was about 1,300 years that the events kind of kept happening over um, so yeah <laughs> they they could still be around I think you, um, you, you touched on something Dan I just want to bring up because I was going to mention it that do you think then that these these beings potentially would again if they're on this planet they wouldn't want us messing about with nuclear weapons because they know that we're not the most stable and that's why they potentially hang about nuclear carrier groups such as the princeton and the nimitz out at sea and just check what they're doing and regularly show us that they can turn on and off these weapons because they won't let us use them because we're not only destroying our planet we're destroying theirs and that's what they're kind of giving us these signs that do you know what? You're not going to do that. So yeah, let's just drop it. And again, maybe when we discuss, as I've done recently, I think um, we touched on it, Dan, in our episode that episode twenty we reviewed the phenomenon that maybe the government stopped looking for what these are because they did find out what it was, and you know they stockpile all these weapons but ever since hiroshima and you know nagasaki they they haven't really used them we've not had that nuclear war that's always been threatened and maybe that's because we wouldn't be able to have i mean hopefully that would be a, a great pro of this whole situation but we wouldn't be able to have that happen because these things would come up and go do you know what no that that would be when they step in you know what I'm, I'm not sure they would step in, you know. If they've helped us before, they can help us again. Um, and if we're going to be stupid enough to shoot ourselves in the feet, then I, I think they would probably let us go and start over. Not in a malicious way, but just in a, we've done it to ourselves. Are they going to let us wipe ourselves out with nuclear weapons, though? Because that's going to affect their, their planet. That That's where the the kind of clinch comes in really isn't it it's the or effects they, on them that we're having a flood. so well the the flood was kind of i i guess it could have been um but you know the flood comes from meteor myths and it, if, if you look at like um the aboriginal kind of stories and they talk about the the rainbow serpent um and that kind of is a harbinger of um like they say unity for example um and the way i look at that is that the meteor would cause unity because we'd all have to work together to survive it 
it's not saying you know the stars say that there's going to be unity it's literally a situation we're put in where unity is the only way through um and and i think if there was a civilization that had been through that and learned that unity was the only way through that they'd see that we're maybe a little too selfish to be kept around I wouldn't argue against that. Uh, Dave, uh, I'm speaking of selfish. I'm going to bring in here. You've, you're a one man magazine, so uh, yeah, I'm totally your, selfish. The, 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 we've, we've talked about quite a lot there already. So, what's your take on the yeah. crypto ultra terrestrial theory? Well, I kind of like the crypto terrestrial because um, you know, leading on from what Dan was saying and what John was saying about the, you know the flood myths. Well, obviously they're not myths because we have evidence that there were you know, these giant flood, catastrophic floods at least 12,000 years ago. And they may have happened, you know, at subs- subsequential periods in the past as well. Um, you know, there's a book by uh, a guy called W. Scott Elliott um, in the early 20th century, I think, or maybe the late 19th. Uh, it's called The Story of Atlantis and Lost Lemuria. And that focuses on obviously Atlantis and Lemuria and this whole civil, those two civilizations, but the way that they were kind of um, separated by continual giant floods, you know, going back like 80,000 years, 90,000 years, even further than that, like 300,000 years. And he kind of focused on the evolution of these two tribes, the Atlanteans and the Lemurians and how, they kind of degraded as time went on because at once at one point they you know the pinnacle of civilization atlantis city of gold and all that um you know the ultra technology flying cars and everything else flying from you know one space to the another using nuclear power and then they totally imploded on themselves um where's i going but yeah, this book focuses on kind of the last great deluge that killed off the Lemurians and the Atlanteans. But there's nothing to say that remnants from those societies did go underground, took their technology underground, and then came up onto the surface again at different points in time. I mean, we got the myths of the Anunnaki, who's, you know, they're said to have come from space anyway. But you've got other myths as well that say they came down from the highlands of Tibet. And they, you know, they found kind of like the plateaus and the plains of Iran and what well, Persia and all that kind of area, Mesopotamia, and that's how they started teaching the remnant tribes how to farm the land, how to create a civilization, how to create some kind of government system, and gave them the ancient knowledge that they'd had before, and then they went again. It's you know, funny. We're all, You've all talked about like floods or water or but you know and and technology and whatnot and this is how obvious it is. <laughs> it's all like I, we've got this. I I sent um a friend I'll just say um a message a few days ago just asking about so more and more the focus and and we've talked about this in a few different shows and John we spoke about it that the US is like it or not the the driving force behind the UAP 
movement at the moment. Um, it really is. It's, it's miles ahead of anyone else, okay? And obviously UAP Media, we're more and more getting ready to launch that, and that's that's why. However, they seem to really be pushing the, the naval aspect of UFOs and that it's the Navy that's in charge of it and it's all these incidents that have happened out at sea, bodies of water. Mm. I then look at the UK having no interest in, in the subject, it seems, but after the US announced a UAP task force that's being run by, or that it's going to be run out of the Naval Office, excuse the terminology, I'm, I'm probably mixing up there, the UK announced their biggest ever naval budget out of nowhere. Um, and I just wonder, is there any correlation between that happening and the UK in the background going, do you know what, with what may potentially come out, let's start spending a little bit more here? It it might be that, but then you never know that our battleships and cruisers might be so past their use-by date that we actually just need to upgrade them. Although, I'll, I'll add to that then that and this this might just be putting two and two together and getting seventeen or four point five. Um, my, my new number I made up. Um, but they did announce the other day that we're going to start fitting um, laser targeted laser weapons to our UK battleships sharks. and cruisers. Yeah. yeah, well, laser. Yeah, sharks with laser beams on their heads. But we we are <laughs> we are going to start putting laser weapons on our battleships, which. You know, again, as a weapon, and you, you can see these weapons being tested on YouTube and stuff like that. So they are out there. They do exist, and no doubt they've been in operation for quite a while. But again, if, if you were going to potentially have to defend or, you know, if we're going down the threat narrative route that you wanted to attack anything that was going to be like a tic-tac, that may have to be the sort of weapon you use. I, th- I think the, the it was talked about on Unidentified, wasn't it, when the, the Italians mentioned having... Yeah. Use, yeah. using frequencies and whatnot to attack the the craft dan am i right because we talked about that didn't depleted, we depleted uh, yeah depleted, depleted uranium. uranium and yeah yeah that was it so i i, I again i'm just that's we're, we're talking rabbit holes i don't want to get too much into that hmm. but that's that's what i'm i'm starting to look and go maybe maybe there's something in that but yeah i mean it's, it's all right having lasers on ships but you still need the actual hardware to be able to keep up with a tic tac or whatever that's playing it 3,000, 15,000 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, some some people would say they weren't flying that fast and it was just, you know. Well, what's the average velocity of a seagull? A hypersonic seagull. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, I'm from California, guys. Seagulls don't fly that fast. No. Unless there's food about and they dive bomb. Yeah, unless the the seagull ate like a... A bag of crack or something, but yeah. Uh, and and these uh, these seagulls are also tracked to coming in from the atmosphere as well, which is an interesting case in point. <laughs> but they come in from the atmosphere. The event. What what gets talked about is the event. We know they were tracked coming in from a certain altitude by various organisations on the coast. As as much as I found out when I spoke to Kevin, Gary, and and PJ Hughes on the first round table. So they come in from space. Not to say they started from there, but they came in from space hovered a distance away over a course of seven to ten days the the nimitz princeton event i think a lot of people do think mainly because of dan's badge that it's a very good artwork <laughs> but it's the 14th of november however it happened over what seven to ten days that they were there and they just hovered um but when when they when they left 
they, they were tracked again and how much of that data is out there it remains to be seen or if we ever find that out. But these these things went somewhere and it wasn't back into space. So again, you look at bodies of water and unidentified season one focused so much on the Catalina Islands and that area, UAPX, UAP expeditions, um, are very keen in going around that area as well. There's a lot of talk, right or wrongly, with them around potential whale migrations and those animals being a part of why these UAP are, are there. Again, yeah. bodies of water, lost civilizations, starts to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, but go on, John. I was going to say, let's just be like super, it's super obvious, right? If it's, if they, the craft have transmedium travel, right? That's, we know that. Yeah. If you're an intelligent race and you don't want to be seen, the best place for you to hide on this planet is in the ocean. Uh, because, first of all, it's, we don't even really pay attention to the ocean. That's a lot, that's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of it. And then they probably know exactly where to go and hide. They could probably just like park in the ocean. Have you guys seen the Turkish, uh, the Turkish UFO? The one that's filmed over like the beach, it's like uh, where they zoom oh, the in, one and they that's can, like zoomed in, and yeah. you can yeah. see the two beings yeah. in the window. Yeah. Like, isn't that funny? Because yeah, the yeah. other, like, <laughs> I, that's the, see, those are the types of uh cases where I go, like, if this is real, how intelligent can they be? They don't see the guy <laughs> over there with the, I mean, he's super far away, probably, but if their technology is like set, you know, they must have some like alarm system or something that lets them know when, when we're coming close. If there's just a guy out there filming them with their windows open, hanging out on the top of the ship, having a, you know, having a cigarette in the middle of the night. I'll give you the, I'll give you the inverted opinion though, that they probably looked to me should we not put the window up? Nah, nah, they put this on their, their YouTube, but no one watches, no one believes them anyway. So it's fine. It's Maybe true. it's like te- teenagers with their first car, you know, they just want to go out and impress. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> yeah. But, that footage, I saw that footage such a long time ago, and I keep seeing it pop up and pop up and come back and come well, it's, back. It's and never been like, debunked, has it? Officially, it's never. No. No, and I think I read somewhere, this could be wrong, that the Turkish government like looked into it, and they actually said like that they think it's legitimate. Well, like, But who knows? You know, I read that, that online. As it stands, it stood the test of time, hasn't it? Um, what I'm going to ask then, gents, before we move on to the next topic, is again your scores. So come to uh, Dan first on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting something low, maybe a three or a four here potentially. Dan might surprise us. But Dan, on a scale of one to 10 slash 11, uh, where are you going with the ultra crypto terrestrial um, theory? Very, very fond of this idea. Um, ten. <laughs> this, this is what I mean. I can't get away from it. Um, yeah, ten, ten for me. Um, the the only thing I'd add to what's be what I've said already um, is that Lou comment where he spoke about mankind in the same video. He he says, you know, what what does it mean to be human? Uh, mm doesn't mean to have arms or to have legs or to have a body and that to me was the standout um and ever since i heard him say that um i i wonder if we're dealing with something that is you know a consciousness without a meat suit attached to it essentially um and then suddenly you have kind of all this other phenomenon come rushing in like ghosts and poltergeists and things like that 
Do you think he was dropping one of his Easter eggs in there? Possibly. I like Trickster. it. Trickster. I like it. John? Yeah, uh, you got it. One one to ten? Uh, ten. Ten? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dan- Daniel said it. We all said it. We're all on the same page, I think. I think I might, I might, I might be wrong, but I think Dave's going to go like <laughs> nine or ten. <laughs> go on then, Dave, to finish off. Well, yeah, John's probably right, actually, because, you know, of all the um, reports of, you know, the Nazis went looking for Agatha and you got, you know, the legends regarding Shambhala. I mean, even Richard Schraber, how controversial and crazy his theory on the Darrow were living in tunnels underground. Um, we know less about what is under our feet and in our seas than we do anywhere else, I guess. And the fact that there could be a civilization with, you know, living in the catacombs or, you know, living in these mass sprawling cities under the ground, it's not that far beyond science fiction, I don't think. So, yeah, let's, let's go with 9 out of 10. Cool. Let's go with 9.3. <laughs> Don't ruin my scale any more than Dan already has <laughs> uh, <laughs> with his eleven. Um, awesome. Okay, so next one, and I'm I'm guessing potentially this would be the least popular one, but it's definitely one that merits discussion. And we'll start off, Dave, uh, with you on this: that this the phenomenon is top secret human tech. That there is no ET interdimensional. There's none of that happening here. This is this is us. It's U.S., American, Russian. It's someone. What's your thoughts, Dave? I think it'd be the most disappointing, and at the same time, the most incredible theory. Explain Pure, purely because the most disappointing thing is that we'd be alone on this earth, as far as we know. You know, there'd be nothing else out there. You look up to the skies, and it's just inky blackness, and there is nothing else going on. There's no such thing as the paranormal. There's no multi-dimensions. We are just here on a rock, a waterlogged piece of rock, basically. Um, the flip to that is that would be so scary that someone has developed this tech so far that they're still keeping it secret. And the fact that they have kept it secret for so long, you have to wonder how many of these craft do they have in storage somewhere? Um, when or the, what is the purpose of them actually using that? So it'd be, yeah, like I said, it'd be disappointing if it was ours. But at the same time, the scientific scientific advancements would be absolutely incredible because then, you know, destruct, world destruction aside, if they could use that kind of technology for the good of humanity, then, you know, we have possibly a, bright future and this this ties in with with various different theories but that some people have said that and this is what i like about the fact the the tic tac video the gimbal video that these came out and have been certified as unidentified by the u.s navy and you know like lou says whatever those are those are real so that tic tac Mm -hmm. was real david framer had that experience the the co-pilot had that experience so if this was the case that this was human tech, then it's more than likely the US government was testing these craft on its own soldiers and own vessels, which nuclear powered. Um, 
Yeah, human error. Yeah, if human error comes into it, which can always happen, that's a disaster. And how do you explain that? I mean, that'd just be. I mean, sure, you want to test um, your newest tech against the best that you've got, but then, yeah, like you said, human error. It just takes you know David Craver or one of his wingmen to go in the wrong direction, make a wrong call. And then suddenly you got something hurtling into a nuclear powered cruiser, and then you know seas are boiling, and the coast of California is wiped out. Absolutely, and then there's a nuclear winter, and we're all paying the price for a flock of seagulls. And we know those Californian seagulls don't fly fast, so uh, they, they're all getting cooked as well. Yeah. Uh, our Californian seagull expert, though, John, let me bring you in on that one. Then, so top secret human tech. Are you with Dave that it would be the most disappointing of the? The hypothesis yeah. to come true yeah 100 percent. and I, I have to say like the only reason why i don't believe that that is the case is the correlation and the similar sightings that we've had uh throughout the many like many many years you know what i mean uh the like lou elizondo says the five observables that in a lot of cases come up from uh years and years and years ago where it would be completely ridiculous for a craft to have that kind of flight capability and people are like, well, maybe they kept it secret for so I'm like, dude, it, that would never exist. And if it did, there's like a secret club of people that have this technology that are just using it for what? I don't know. And that would be kind of sad. Definitely. Do you know, um, let me, let me play devil's advocate here. One thing for me that would lean towards some of this being human technology, mm-hmm. albeit very advanced is, is how poor some of these craft look. And uh, <laughs> per- particularly when you go back a little bit in time, that the and this is something that I think you guys right back at the start were talking about, that you see what you want to see, or the, the craft can make you see what it wants you to see and can be perceived by different people in different ways, that some of these craft look really old-fashioned and they do look like, the old, you know, as my goblin problems outro is Sean Cahill, which is an awesome <laughs> piece of music, which I love. But he talks about, you know, hubcap designed by Chaucer. And some of them do look like hubcaps being thrown up in the air or the old, like, kind of dreidels. And the, the, the designs are really odd and just look a bit square. And if you're going, you know, when you go shopping for a car and you can get your, your really basic, I don't want that, that looks ready to break down model. Yeah. Or you get your top yeah. of the range sports models, you know, your Bob Lazar sports model. There, there seems to be such a range of these craft that if they were ours, maybe that would explain some of the kind of poor designs. But then you've still got the fact that they can defy physics. I look, I agree with you on the poor design thing, but I also think like we have this idea of in our minds of what uh, what something advanced in technology should look like, yeah. you know. And if we're going to talk about the sports model from Bob Lazar, I mean, it was a supposedly like it was the inside of the craft really had nothing in there and it had like some slots for your hands and some chairs that were the size for children. I mean, it's pretty unimpressive, but at the same time, we don't know exactly how they're, how how they're piloting the craft. You know, it could be that they're actually using something that we can't even grasp to uh, for the propulsion systems. Cause it would seem like too, in some cases like um, that they're using their consciousness to somehow pilot the craft or they have a neural link and they're from the future and they're basically uh, 
all created by Elon Musk, and it's what's going to happen in fifty in a hundred years. <laughs> it's the Planet of the Apes ending that are coming back, yeah. and it was us all along. <laughs> Dan, bring you in on it. Top secret human tech being the outcome here. Then, so I mean, in a word, no. <laughs> okay, it's pretty bluntly. Um, perfect. My 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 ex- explainer um, <clears throat> would be. I, I think it was uh, Danny Silver that made this point on Twitter um, that you, you're not going to spend millions looking for something in your own inventory. Like that's yep. that's insanity. Like you, people want to talk about military people making mistakes, maybe seeing glare on the canopy. Now, now the comedy of errors is expanding to include a whole budget given to a program to look for something that they already own and no it's no that's nonsense um then we'll pair with that with just just to put it in perspective so according to my reason in there it doesn't belong to america so it could reasonably be in other countries but then when we look at the defense spending and i know it's not a complete numbers game they could have a genius who just kind of upended all of physics um but america in I think it was 20, 2017, I'm looking at, um, 610 billion they spent on defense spending. That is more than China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, India, France, UK, and Japan combined. So if yeah. it's not America's, it's not theirs. <laughs> yeah. Literally, uh, look, I'm not like a I'm not like I'm a proud American. I'm not that kind of person. Um, but w- it, if it's not it, if it's not America's, I mean, come on, guys, it's got to be, you know, the Russian, the Russian or the Chinese. But like, the, let's be realistic. I mean, it's the same kind of flight capabilities happening over and over and over again for years and years and years. And people are like trying to say that it's some kind of test drone. And I'm like, that makes no sense at all. Makes no yeah. sense. Not, if you've looked into the subject, it makes no sense. I think I mean, dro- drones are one of the worst things that's happened to the UFO subject in recent years because it's now the default of anything that can be easily disproved outside in the, the mainstream. It's that's a drone. It's a drone. It'll be a drone. It'll be yeah. a hundred and fifty foot drone. Yeah. That's yeah, it's, yeah. it's no longer a Chinese lantern the size of a you know, school bus. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you have to remember like Operation uh, paperclip. I was going to bring that in, Dave. I'm glad you have, yeah. Yeah, you know, you've got the Americans and the Russians and the well, the British, Canadians and the French as well. You know, it wasn't just the Americans and the Russians. They're all scrambling to get German technology because they knew that the Germans were so far advanced of, you know, what the Allies had at the time, that they wanted yeah. those scientists, they wanted those blueprints, and they wanted if they wanted the tech if they could get their hands on it. I mean, the Americans and the Russians were the first ones there. The Brits were sat around having a cup of tea by all accounts because we were the last ones to the party and we ended up with the scraps. But we don't know what the Russians have because nobody's ever been able to get information out of Russia, yeah. you know, as much as we have out of America. Yeah. I mean, that's because Russia is so closed off. But who's to say that, you know, they haven't developed something, but at the same time, you know, America's black budget is well known for keeping so many things hidden. I mean, look at Skunk Works. 
um, Northrop and um, Douglas and Boeing and Martin and all those, you know, all those aerospace companies that were developing things in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. When I interviewed Tim McMillan, I think it was one of the first times that he mentioned uh, the Department of Energy. And that was something mm-hmm. that kind of dropped on me that, you know, if everyone's looking at all these different aspects of the military industrial complex and who could be hiding different projects and tim said if, if that was me and there is a potential object that as, as as john talked about how are these things propelled and fueled then that's energy it would be the department of energy which is huge and no one was really looking for a long time at the department of energy um and and tim mcmillan said i'm sure it was again on my podcast that he FOIA requested the department of energy and the first response was why are you writing to us about this it wasn't uh we don't have anything but you know they were uh, and he was like well that would be the most sensible thing for me because we're talking about an an energy source that would potentially change you know humanity yeah one one of the humanities and let's not forget like the research of nikola tesla and thomas tanzan brown as well you know, their research notes um, are hidden away. Tesla's flat was notoriously raided by the FBI so they could get, you know, whatever he had in his safe in that cheap hotel that he died in. And Thomas Tanzan Brown was proposing anti-gravity craft back in the 50s and the 40s. So, you know, I'm not saying that's we've developed so far as to get a tic-tac or anything like that, but... You know, the scientists have been looking at this for a long time. So and there's I no think reason why we haven't got, you know. Before I come to ask you for your scores on this one, uh, the, the biggest disappointment for me on that would be that um, Chris Mellon lied to us all because he has got to the point now of openly saying that this is not US, this is not Russian, this is not Chinese. And very recently on his Stars and Stripes appearance, uh, the military podcast he was on that was really good, um, he man- he actually came out and said uh, it, it would be good for this subject if we could, and I'm paraphrasing here, if we could rule out ETs as one of the possibilities. But given the evidence that's there and given what's happening, you can't. And it would be the best thing and the easiest thing for UAPs would be, do you know what? Here's why we can prove it's not extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial. It's not, it's not another race, another set of beings, but they can't do that. And that's that's Chris Mellon saying that. So for me, that's enough to, to poo-poo the top-secret human tech, although I don't doubt we've got some good stuff. As people like to claim the TR3B thing that Dan knows is one of my pet hates. <laughs> The lucky Duster as well. Sorry, Jack. No, I was going to say the TR3B. Is that why, why did they say like maybe that's what you saw? No, so what uh, Dan's going to, but so what gets me a little bit with people claiming, so I know there's patents for it, okay, but people will very quickly claim. I don't even know if I should say this. Oh, yeah, so that that's TR3B. You don't know that. You can't yeah. claim you don't know what that craft is. Human, extraterrestrial, drone, whatever. People shouldn't claim that kind of stuff because you, you don't know. Like I say, I saw a black triangle back last year, just around about this time of year. And I got the feeling just at the time, it, it was weird that I, again, maybe because I'm seeing it in person and it was like, again, only a hundred feet above my head, that it, it, it seemed more like ours than something else's. Mm-hmm. 
but then why is it hanging about near an airport and Dave wants to come in on that? But yeah, the, the TR3B thing just gets me in the sense that people claim with 100% that, oh yeah, that's what that is. And it's, ah, you don't know. No, but yeah, one thing I wanted to mention was the Calvine sighting. Yes. You know, the case that's been shut away for 50 years. Again. Again. Um, you know, I originally thought that was because there were still people involved who were named in that. Um you know, high-ranking officials, which didn't want their names put out there, so that's why they shut it. Mm-hmm. But I think apparently it is some kind of secret black tech, which um, when the US found out that MI5 or MI6 or, you know, the MOD had images of it, apparently they went absolutely ballistic because a their secret craft had been photographed and B, it was talked about in the UK press. Interesting. Yeah. Am, I not, am I not right in saying that secret, that, that photo of that secret craft, the apparent original photo has a, like a, a one mm. of the UK fighter jets alongside it as well. Yeah. I think it did where people think, Oh, that's been scrambled to try and uh, it's being, chase it down. Or it's but being it escorted. Could, uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, 50 years' time, we'll find out that it was the Astra or uh, Aurora or whatever. Or maybe I'll probably be dead. I'll probably be dead in 50 years' time. (laughs) (laughs) Or listen, we might find out sooner. But guys, let's go round the doors then for for non-human tech. I think this, I can't see Dan giving us a high score. But uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, So on a 1 to 10? 10. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm I'm gonna go for a five for this one, um, simply because I'm gonna be sensible. Um, I I really don't think it is. I really really don't think it is. But I and, and, and like I said though, that's not to say that some of this that what people see and mistake things for wouldn't be human technology that were uh, that's far in advanced or way far in advanced. But on yeah, the whole, exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I I just think that. It's the physics leap from kind of, you know, looking at a, a B-52 flying through the sky um, as a black project um, to something like the Tic Tac. We're, we're talking thousands of years of development. Like th- this isn't a small feat, um, whereas the B-52 still made sense according to what we knew about flight. It just exploited those things to do. Can, I, ju- can I just put to you, though, thinking of similar scales... What about then when you look at a, a cell phone or a mobile phone, depending where you are in the world, from the 80s compared to an iPhone now? Is that not an incredible leap to go from the brick with the little antenna to now having literally that interface in your hand? I'd say it depends. I mean, it's incredible size-wise that in my hand is something more powerful than took us to the moon. But at the same time, the... The only thing that's changed is uh, how good we are at precision. The principles are still the same. We're just getting more and more precise with how we apply them. You know, so the phone from the 80s would have had transistors that were 5,000 times bigger than the transistors in the new iPhone chip that has like trillions of them packed in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's still the same principles. It's just going smaller. Um, and that's still a big feat, but it's a world away from coming up with an entirely new principle. 
and that's fair. John, I'll ask you for your score then, 1 to 10, non-human tech. Uh, I'm going to go 8, non-human Ooh. tech. I'm going to give the 2 there because Dave made a good point. I'm going to give him the, the, the 2 between 8 and 10. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, what are you going for? Are we talking about human tech or... Not yeah, so, this so, is uh, stuff that we've created. Oh, sorry, so, yeah, so, so top secret human tech, yeah. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, then sorry, John. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my bad. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it, it is now um, well after midnight in the UK for those who listen to this in the future. Um, <laughs> who will be listening to this going, God, they actually talked about this? Yeah, we know what this is now. Um, but yeah, so sorry. So were you going for the two? I'll go for a two. Um, like, I believe it's I believe it's it's uh, it's alien tech. It's extraterrestrial or, multi- or whatever. You know, it's not ours, basically. Yeah, my, my bad. Um, I won't even edit that out to make myself sound better. And Dave, for top secret human tech. I'm going to have to sit on the fence with my feet dangling on one side of the alien tech. So I, I don't know, four purely because of Operation Paperclip and the fact that some of the stuff in the sky could be, you know, developed technology from, you know, way back when, like the Horton brothers built the flying boomerang, which became the prototype for the B-2 bomber. Awesome. Okay, so um, one more main theory to discuss, then I want your thoughts on a potential mix of a few, as, as I discussed right back at the start. So one of the listeners actually brought this up, and I totally missed it off, and this is something that I've talked about a few times on the show. Um, and I will come to Dan first for this one. Um, the idea that this is a simulation, if you want to go <laughs> matrix if you want to think of it that way, if you want to think of it as a big game of The Sims is being played and we are The Sims, you know, that that we're in some kind of simulated environment. What's your thoughts on your take on that one? I'm really fond of this idea. Um, It it doesn't have to not be true, even if the other things are. You know, we could still be in a simulation and it could still be extraterrestrials. it's, it's a reflection of the times we live in, I think, um, that we talk about these things in terms of kind of computer games and things like that. That's what we're plugged into all the time. We've got, you know, screens, computers. It's all it's all about simulations. And I bet in 100 years, they'll talk about it in, in a way that we can't even fathom right now. Um, I think even in another way, um, kind of scientifically, there's a conversation we could be you know kind of holographic projections um i'm not sure if you guys any of you guys have come across these uh this um which is still a simulation and we're just not plugged into a computer per se um we can even go as strange as talking about concepts we we touched on tribes earlier and there are tribes that talk about us like we're almost like life is a dream it's just an experience that's not real that we just kind of go through um and and that's kind of very similar to the to the simulation hypothesis um but i wonder i wonder where the neos are if we are in a very uh computer gamey simulation 
I, I, I'd say that when, one of the things that always kind of keeps me tuned into the simulation hypothesis is the, uh, the observer effect in physics, where if you watch the particle, it does something different. Um, and that is almost like we, we would load a game to ourselves, uh, for ourselves, only load what we see and what we can interact with and loading anything else would be a waste. Um, yeah. yeah, like right right now, does my mum actually mm-hmm. exist where she is in, in Glasgow? <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, you kind of think about it. Sorry. Um, yeah, you kind of think about like the only interactions before tonight, before I actually saw, you know, Gaucho in the flesh. It was the only traction we had were like on Twitter over a phone, and that's just pixels. So, how do we know at the other end of that conversation is a real person, or is it just an algorithm that's been trained to interact with the questions that we're asking? And to be honest, if someone's written a video game that programs all these different lives, there are a lot of disappointed people out there when they find that out because their lives are totally banal. So I suppose it begs the question, though, about, you know, who's playing the game? Is there a, is there a set of players there? Oh. Is it more than one? And this is something I talked about in one of my shows, and I like when you talk about simulation theory, and I'm a bit mm, with it, that is it a case of, you know, maybe four, four people start a game of The Sims, one's really interested in playing it, one is just happy to sit and watch one is really interested at first, but then loses interest and kind of f- falls away. And someone else is just there, not really interested, but quite happy just to mess it up and just have everything, you know, fall fall apart. I think we all remember playing things like Sim City or, you know, Sim Theme Park, mm-hmm. Sim Hospital at some point, one of those types of games growing up. And you start off with the best intentions. And then as things get a little bit more complicated and things get a bit difficult, you can wipe it and start a new game. Or you can just go full, you know, devil mode and just destroy your creation. And if if someone is playing right now, then I feel the one who's kind of want to to take over and have things just go to hell are kind of running things at the minute. When you look at the state of the planet, um, but I suppose that's a more worrying aspect of it that you know if someone is in charge of the whole thing and that it's not just machines in the background letting it run. I mean, did you play Sid Meier's Civilization series? I think no. it's up to Civilization Six, where it's just basically a, you know, you start in the year four thousand with a little tribe, you build a village, build a town, and then you have to develop technology, research science, um, go to war if you want, explore new lands, create more cities. I mean, this is a huge game series that's been played since like the nineteen nineties, um, and that could be kind of what we are going through, like you said. You know, you've got people just kicking back, building worlds, creating cities, researching tech, and then suddenly they want to go to war with somebody. I'm waiting on someone paying for the DLC upgrade for me that I get a lot more cash, <laughs> a new car and a new house uh, that I can play with. So, yeah, uh, Brand new skin. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and obviously they've designed this character with a flaw that my waist is far too big. So um, if they could just edit that as well, that would be great. John, I'll, I'll come back in then on yourself. That uh, simulation theory, what are, the, what are your thoughts then on the idea that it's all a, all potential simulation? Uh, it's an interesting theory. I like it. 
uh, it's really deep and trying to like box it in or explain it. It's kind of difficult, but at the same time, I think that when you think about these kinds of theories, people always try to like create, just look at it from like a technical aspect or like super, Oh yeah, we're in a simulation. So it's all super like we're in some crazy computer that's super smart. But if you just look at like what a lot of people believe, generally they believe that there is like a creator. So there you go. There's your game creator. There's the guy who created the simulation and we're all, everyone's around the world thinks there's some kind of source that created our existence. You know, even if you believe in evolution, there's still a lot of people that are like, yeah, but there's an energy that connects us all. There's the creator. Um, so I don't know if it's so like, you know, I, I read this book once it was about, I can't remember like, uh, the the name of the book or anything because I bought it like at a used bookstore here in Argentina it was in Spanish I was buying it to practice reading in Spanish and it was basically comparing the human body to a uh, to a machine and it would compare the human but like to rudimentary machines not like super technological machines it was like you know to a car motor so it would like compare each part of your body to a different part of that of a machine that we use and I mean, we're basically biological machines. So if something ever did create us, I don't know if it has to go so deep as to be like the matrix where we're like in a actual video. It might be something um, that we are like super advanced biological computers that reproduce themselves and just take over the, you know, if you think about human beings, that's basically what we are. We're like super advanced biological computers. And, and yeah you make a good point and i joke before about i say a joke like i i do need to lose a few i'm carrying christmas weight from five years ago still <laughs> um on me at the minute but you're you're trained aren't you when you need to try and change your mindset that food is fuel your your body yeah. is a machine and you have to eat to fuel your body there's different things you can put in there you know there's different grades of fuel you can put in your car some are better than others you can you get some people who make their own fuel at home which isn't recommended but you know your car might run for a while um it's also illegal don't try that folks um but yeah so it's that whole idea that you're you're still just a machine that needs some sort of energy source to create energy and have an output and yeah so i i, I can i can buy that um simulation theory though like I, I like you make the point though john that you people tend to think of it as i suppose the matrix has given us that point hasn't it from 1999 that that's what a simulation may be but we're, we're all plugged in and these machines harvesters and matrix i love the trilogy i, I don't have anything bad said about I, I, any of the films but that's another podcast for another day that like you say though it's that's one way to think of it but you don't know that and in, in a way you can't even conceptualize or understand that we're part of some sort of simulation or some sort of experiment or, or some sort of game on a totally different scale or different level um as part of simulation i'll just bring in and i'll, I'll come to dan on this one that you know the i suppose there's the zoo theory that are are we just someone sort of experiment if you if you want to go simulation it's not a huge leap to go that we're an experiment in that sense i know it was touched on earlier um you know if we're, if we're an experiment, yeah, I mean, it could be very possible that, that we are an experiment, I think. Uh, we are missing that, you know, that piece between our chimpanzee brothers or, you know, our, the, people, the things we evolved from that they, see, they can't seem to explain. And also, um, 
Yeah, I mean, guys, I, we could talk about simulations and, and the, uh, like, look at it in a technological format, but I, I just keep looking back at it and I think of, like, this rudimentary basic idea that, like, we basically live in a world that's completely planned out for us where we can follow, we only we're restricted to what we can really do and where we can go. It's, we are living in kind of like a simulation, but it's not the kind of simulation people are imagining. It's a different kind of simulation. It's you, you live this life that, at, you know, lots of lives don't have that much purpose. You know, we talk about uh, Einstein and Nikola Tesla and how many uh, Bob's and, and Chris is out there that, that we've never heard of, or Jack's, you know, um, we're limited to the experience that we have because some, for some reason or another, the path that we've been on all these years has done that to ourselves. Like we can't even survive. We don't even know how to make a fire. Daniel knows how to make a fire, but none of us do. <laughs> I'm saying that's right there. That's like just showing you that whatever, led us in this direction it's kind of like a simulation without the you know i don't even really look at it in like a computer matrix kind of format i look at it kind of like an experiment like you said but maybe it's not really an experiment maybe it's just you know it's just uh what what we're here for is just to live and produce reproduce and continue to do what we're doing and that's it Dan, do you want to come in on that one at all? Um, just a question one more time. Um, so again, just a simulation, experiment theory. Um, I can't remember if it was you, Dan, I spoke to about this, but the idea that if it was some sort of simulation, then why would you why would you make like stars and planets and the universe? But then is it a case that it's not the Earth that simulated its entire universe? It's a simulation and like you said it doesn't then exclude the fact that you've got ets and spacecraft because all that could then just be part of the simulation they could all be in it with us or potentially yeah i i mean we we could essentially just be in many many multi-layered simulations it makes me think of a uh, rick and morty uh, where he uses the universe for a car engine and then in that car engine there's another scientist that's made another universe for his car engine and it just kind of keeps going down um, and implies the question um, at some point, are they in a car engine in their world? Um, and I guess that comes back to, to everything being um, relative, like John said. <clears throat> um, it's our experience of it. I really liked your point about the, the world kind of being a simulation we choose to participate in, kind of, you know, that nine, nine to five kind of um standard world we think of is yeah, it, it, very much a simulation in a way it doesn't need to be so uh deep and so like oh let's figure no we are literally living in like a planned world like there is a program and we're living it every single day when we wake up we have to pay taxes there's no free <laughs> there's no free food like we have to pay to live it's we're living in a world where we're programmed to live a certain way vote for people to tell us what to do so we are kind of living in like a a game where we are like the sims you know we can't really make our own choices we, so we think we can i'm going to ask but, a question and i'll start with dave come around joel then get your get your scores on this one okay uh dave how do you think people would react if it was announced this was the disclosure 
okay, well, we've found out that we are living in, and let, let's just use the basic, we're living in a simulation, we're in a holographic computer-made construct. We can't get out of it. It's a I simulation. The, the world's going to go GTA. Think so? Total GTA, yeah. I mean, it's like you said earlier about the you know, the people who are controlling the game. You're just going to get the one guy who presses the button to go, yeah, fine, all hell breaks loose. I think because if people find out they're not in control of their lives for real, you know, all right, we have politicians and we have certain rules and laws and stru- social structures, but we accept that to a point. But if someone comes along and tells you, oh, actually, you're just an NPC, or yeah, someone's actually controlling your life. I mean, there have been films made about this. There's one, um, I mean, almost get like Ready Player One where you enter this other universe where you are who you want to be and who you think you are and you can do basically anything you want and, you know, there's an end game, but it's still experiencing the kind of in-game arena as you want to. But then I think there's a film with Gerard Butler where he suddenly finds out that he's being controlled by this, you know, 10-year-old kid with a headset sitting in a chair eating Cheetos and drinking Dr Pepper and, you know, he's questioning the actual decisions this kid's making and why he's controlling his life and why he's learning to die at certain points. I mean, do we really want somebody, you know, like an eight-year-old interdimensional or extraterrestrial just sitting in front of a PS12, you know, deciding when we get up, how long we stay up, what we eat, where we go to work? Or is he going to be like away from the keyboard for years on end where we just do nothing with our lives? I think if people find out that way, then yeah, there's going to be carnage. John, do you want to come in on that then, Gaucho? Let us know. What what do you think would happen if we find out that it is a simulation? What happens to society, the world? You know, after after the pandemic and stuff, I don't think the society and the world's really ready for much. I think we are ready for we think we're ready you know we're obviously all like yeah of course we can band together and do this but if they found out they were in a simulation i mean they can't even understand to respect people's opinions and religions and sexes imagine if they found out they were in a simulation everyone would would. run out and buy all the toilet paper (laughs) it would be gone (laughs) oh yeah for sure i'm saying yeah that's why i was trying to like not get all technical with the idea of living in a simulation. I feel like um, the, I, I, the craziest part is, is I truly think that we are kind of living in a, you know, a sim- like a simulated world. It's not like a real world. It's all just follow you this blind. line, do this. Yeah. At the end, if you don't go to this school, you're not going to get this job. And if you get this job, you're just going to make this much money and then you can retire and you die. So like we are kind of already living in that simulation. You know, there isn't much control. There is like, you have choice. You have a choice. You might get lucky, but it, depending on the situation you were put in because of the environment that you live in, because of the laws that were set to you, because of where you grew up, where you were born, because of what level you were on, you know what I mean? Where, uh, what version of the game you were experiencing. Um, some people are PS5 and some people are just Nintendo. <laughs> it sucks, but I'm saying, uh, yeah, I don't think people could handle that at all. 
at all. Like fair. And Dan, it it would be chaos. I totally agree with the guys. Uh, you you'd have to you'd you'd have to figure out who was ready to be woken up and approach them and carefully tell them. And now we're into the plot of the Matrix. So yeah. Cool. So listen, guys, what I'm going to ask then is your scores on this one, and then we'll have a, a quick discussion on the the idea that it's a mix of, of a lot of these things, okay? Then for the listener questions, or sorry, listener theories part, we'll do it more as a quick fire going round it, because a lot of it we've discussed throughout this, so some of you might see some of these theories uh, being very similar to what we've discussed, okay, if that's good with you. So um, Dan, on a uh, one to ten for simulation. Um, John's ideas really resonated with me, so I'm I'm gonna I've got to go for a, for a ten. <laughs> Even if we're not plugged into computers, we're in a simulation. John John's totally right, and I, I did like how he described that as well. I'll, I'll 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 go with you on that one. That I was I was keen on John saying, you know, step away from the simulation as as we understand the simulation and that so much of it is simulated and pre-programmed and you can look at life as having an algorithm to it and i can't remember who i spoke to quite a while ago it may have been sean cahill but even talking about that the your genetics as they they dive down into the human genome and atoms that that there's there's memory and storage within these and is literally every cell and atom in your body already pre-programmed for for what it's going to do when you know so that that's that's all that's all there god it gets deep at almost 1 a.m um dave <laughs> one to ten on simulation yeah without going into the theory of existence then um yeah john put it so succinctly that it's got to be like an eight i like it and john simulation theory one to ten Thank you, guys. I didn't think I was going to have that effect when I, t- when I explained it that way. But uh, a 10. You know, I've always felt that way I've since I was a little kid. 10. Okay, awesome. Okay, then, guys. Like So just before we move on to the quick fire listener theories, um, the what has been mooted about, again, Tom DeLong, we're, we're all a, a fan of, of Tom um, to various degrees, he mentioned that reality, the phenomenon, everything at the universe is so much stranger than we can think. What about the idea that the phenomenon is a mix of a lot of these put together? Dave, I'll come to you first on this one. So as uh, for for me, I'm looking at, yep, there are potentially craft coming from other planets that more than likely would be probes or second, third generation clones, you know, beings that aren't really, you know, sentient as such as we would know it um but then the the tic tacs are interdimensional multi-dimensional crypto terrestrial and it's all in there and you can lump in ghosts shadow people bigfoot all, all of that it's just one weird wonderful universe yeah i think you've actually probably hit it on the head there i mean it is definitely a mix you you know ghosts and poltergeists things like that you are talking like intimate interdimensionals um multi-dimensional you have time slips things like that you know we haven't even approached the aspect of time in all this conversation either which is probably another three-hour conversation anyway um but yeah i mean throughout history you've got 
you know, the phenomenon presents itself in various different ways. I mean, you look at the research in Jack Vallee in his, you know, in his book, Passport to Mongolia and Wonders in the Sky with uh, Chris Horback. You know, they're talking about the little people, you know, fairies and elves of folklore. Are they, you know, the historical greys or the Ebens or, you know, things like that? Our minds, as we develop and as we evolve through history, it teaches us different things. Um, we recognise, you know, what, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle recognised as fairies or, you know, Algernon Blackwood or Arthur Macken, you know, the writers of, you know, the early 20th century, they were talking about, you know, the same kind of things that we are talking about today when it comes to the phenomenon. And, yeah, we don't, we, we're seeing the same thing, but we're putting a different spin on it. I mean, people have seen airships back in the 1800s before there were airships. Um, you know, you got like phantom trains, which were seen back in the 17th century. And people did, you know, trains hadn't existed. You know, they hadn't been invented at that point in time. So I think there's a whole mix of the phenomena. And we got the trickster concept as well, where it just plays tricks on the human mind. And we haven't quite developed the mental capacity to recognise it for what it is yet interesting and again the trickster thing is something that comes up more and more doesn't it and yeah the aspect of the phenomenon playing with people skinwalker ranch is is, is well documented and um i'll have an announcement pretty soon on twitter about i guess it'll be coming on from skinwalker ranch that's uh, just came up today which i'm quite excited about so i'll keep that one until it's a hundred percent but uh yeah that, that's really interesting thought there dave um dan do you want to come in on the the mix idea. I know that's again. This is something we talk about off air, isn't it? Quite often in text about as well. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's as Dave said. There's there's a lot of very good work by very respectable people who have gathered all these cases that seem to suggest we are seeing something that's presenting itself to us, um, which brings us right back to that ATIP slide nine and instantaneous sensor disassembly. Only in this example, the sensor is the human mind or consciousness. Um, and when once this is on the table, you know, the ability to show somebody whatever you want them to see, um, all the kind of esoteric subjects like, you know, Bigfoot, ghosts, um, phantom ships, you know, you, you name it, uh, shadow people, light people, uh, angels, all these things, um, they all kind of fall into the same category with that single ability that we know they have. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd be remiss to... to ignore this theory um I'm, I'm a big fan of it and john where where are we in the mix i am on the same side as dave and daniel on this one um i've always believed that there's a link between it all right uh i've tried to figure it out a million times somehow i always get i always uh, my ufo research takes me always back to the occult i don't know why but it always happens and then when I get there, I have to start all over again. 
and go back to the beginning again. But it always happens, and uh, it's there. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the paranormal is all tied together. High strangeness is a thing. And it could be, uh, like Daniel was saying, this information from slide nine, where it is this trickster element, like Dave brought up, um, that is manipulating us and making us see what it what it wants to see, the or what it wants us to see. But um, you know, then again, I always have this moment where maybe what I was saying earlier about um, about how I'm not like. I don't know if I said it while we were on the podcast or before, but uh, we were talking about consciousness in C5. And I was saying that for some reason, I'm very like, I'm very like uh, nuts and bolts, even though I don't think I am. So there's moments where like this idea that it's something that's manipulating us and uh, there is no real, like, like it's all the same source. Right. Um, it, kind of throws me off a little bit but then when I think about it a little more and I come down to earth right and I try to think about it on a ground level um, again we get back to the same thing where like the whole idea of the universe and everything around us is that there is a source so if there is a element of this uh, maybe it's the same element that we believe that uh, is all you know the created existence and it's just the, the the yin or the yang element of it that's just the trickster element you know um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but I don't know. I think it's all tied together and I think it makes it a lot more fascinating to think about when you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together and think that the Mothman might actually have something to do with uh Bigfoot and that <laughs> UFOs as well. Um, so yeah, I agree with everything everyone said. So one last time then gents, we're going to go with the scores, John, one to ten for the phenomenon being a mix of craft coming from other planets, interdimensions, multi-dimensions, different realities, potentially crypto, ultra, um, some some secret human tech in there, simulation. One to ten. Let's go with a with an eight, right? An eight. Yeah, just awesome. To, just to spice it up, yeah. Just that's, to spice that's, it up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dan, um, I'm I'm. Can I can I go for eleven again? <laughs> I mean, I'll probably help with some of the scoring, yeah. But yeah, yeah, awesome. Eleven from Dan. He's, he's, he likes that one. I know. I, I, do you know what? If if anyone before this, I could have pinned Dan on giving a really high score. I thought it would have been in in the mix section. So yeah, you've not let me down on that one. And Dave, one last score, please. Yeah, I think because there's a couple of things I'm not totally up on, I'd have to get like eight, nine, nine tops. But what I will say is, John, if you have you ever checked out the skull experiments? What was that? SC, have you ever checked out the skull experiments? S C O L E. I'm typing it in now. <laughs> what is it? Let me know. Yeah. Yeah, it was some paranormal experiments um, done in Britain in the 80s and the 90s. And if you look into that, then, uh, yeah, you'll find that very interesting. Okay, definitely, I will. Thank you for suggesting that. No worries. So, Jeff. Yeah, any uh, of the listeners as well. 
Oh yeah, and for any listeners, absolutely. Gents, uh, before we jump on to a quickfire listener theories and just get some comments from you on those, looking at the scoring, uh, you've went with Inter and Multidimensional being the, the favoured of all the theories. After that, it was only one in it that was Crypto and Ultra Terrestrial. Uh, we then had a tie for third place for simulation, which I was uh, I'm surprised that it was scored so highly, and also that it's a, a mix of them as well. So really interesting, and you know what? I've really enjoyed that as well. Um, so listener theories, uh, I'm going to bring them up on my word document, and I will just read the theory, and uh, I'll I'll go round in order. So Dave, if you could take the first one, um, what do you think about the the idea that ETs have bases deep underground, inside mountains, um, deep down in ocean floors, in the poles. Uh, this was from uh, Cesar Suarez, and all the he thinks all the logistic is there for that, and believes a lot of alien. Um, I believe a lot of these entities are artificially intelligent beings inhabited by souls, artificial bodies that can last thousands of years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there, there was a lot in that one there yeah there I mean, was I yeah um, i mean definitely basic well bases i'd say probably more likely to be under the ocean than under the ground um the poles probably not so much i like it um cannot comprehend uh, this is one that we touched on earlier uh but john uh average guy ufo.com as ufo dad one he said um he'd like to hear a lot about about our short uh, discussion around our shortcomings and understanding the phenomenon and we're looking at it from a human perspective that's inherently flawed it's no different from my dog speculating what i do when i leave for work so the idea that we simply cannot understand what's going on at all yeah it's very possible that we don't understand what's going on at all i mean i, I think we talked about that earlier um i still to this day think like we truly lit people on fire for you know bringing new ideas to the table that ended up becoming like truth right we've hung people for uh stepping outside of the box so it's very possible that in this time and maybe every time that we ever think of throughout history we are not living in uh, a logical or sane perspective of what's going on. So, yes, it's very possible that we do not know at all what's going on. Uh, I'm going to bring the next one to Dan. This was from uh, Awaif Soul on Twitter, who gave me an eight-part epic, uh, which thank you very much. And a lot of it we discussed, and it was actually this tweet that made me put the simulation aspect into the, the discussion. But Dan, I would love to know your thoughts on one of the questions that were asked about if this was a simulation, what do you think about the the ethical aspect of there being death shooting you know all the bad stuff that happens are we unethical for playing along or is the creation of the simulation unethical for putting that in there in the first place um i'm a, I'm a big fan of approaching uh issues in the world with with the mantra of uh compassion for the conned contempt for the con man um so in this instance i'm gonna choose to throw the the person that created um the simulation uh 
in in jail for for doing so. Um, I don't think the the actions are particularly on the players. I guess if they don't know they're in the game. Awesome, uh, Dave. Back to yourself. So Mike suggested that uh, Whitley Strieber, our Strieber, called them visitors rather than aliens. Uh, do you think he was ahead of his time in that way of thinking? Well, no, not really, because alien, the word alien just means something that is strange to us. Um, so visitors makes perfectly sense because if they are coming from somewhere, then they are just visiting or, you know, whether it be through space or through time or wherever. From alien. the sea, yep. Yeah, I mean, why would they not be visitors? Cool. Uh, Carl, uh, and this is one we discussed, uh, but John, that our, our relationship with the phenomenon is symbiotic on several levels. So there is a connection between us and the phenomenon. Yes. I mean, um, I make the argument that for some reason they find us very important because if they are so technologically advanced, they could have just figured out what they needed a long time ago and stopped abducting people, stopped coming out and taking samples of, of the environment or uh, using you know craft to scan the land and all this kind of stuff that people theorize is going on. Um, but the abduction phenomenon, in my opinion, is very real. And I don't understand why a super intelligent advanced race would continue to use people in that manner without like figuring out a way to just maybe just keep one of us <laughs> and use one of us or uh, clone a few of us and just experiment on those. I don't get it. You know what I mean? Uh, so I do think there is a, a big tie between us and them. And there is some kind of importance that we're not noticing. Uh, it may be the anthropomorphic nature. It may be that they are us from the future. It may be so many things, but there is something there that links us to them in a way that we are not really paying attention to. I like that. Let me just add in there, though. You made me think, uh, John, even at this late hour, as as we record, <laughs> that um, you say about uh, cloning some of us and experimenting on them. Maybe they are doing that and the clones don't realize they're clones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next one uh for you dan this is from dustin bagwell um if ufos travel through dimensions do you think it possible they're letting other things into our dimension say through a rip or leak that let paranormal entities enter something like what's going on at skinwalker ranch i like that question i'm a, I'm a big uh, stephen king fan and that is essentially the mist in a nutshell and the overarching theory of the dark tower, right? That we have all these dimensions and the traveling between them. Um, they, they have uh, a word for it. I think it was thinnies they used uh, where you could kind of see the doorways between dimensions and walk through them. Um, but there would, there would be a space in between where kind of they said our, our nightmares lived and it was full of creatures which uh, sure sounds a little like uh, Lovecraft, right? Yeah, space between spaces. And, we'll and it's, it. this, it's the space we were talking about earlier that you brought up when we asked if they were from another dimension yeah. or another reality. It's a space between yeah. spaces. I like that, bringing it, bringing it right back round as well. <laughs> uh, and back to yourself, Dave, last three. Uh, Craig uh, has said that he believes they've lived here um, all the time that we have. Um, or at least in between, so maybe crypto or interdimensional for him. Um, 
he doesn't think it's quite within our scope of understanding, but he couldn't rule out ET either. Would you go along with that from what we looked at the scoring? Well, it depends how long he thinks we'd be living in. Oh. On a controversial. There's, another, at... there's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you read Michael Primo's book, Forbidden Archaeology, you know, he goes back into, um, you know, discoveries of humanoid skeletons going back millions of years. Um, so it's not within, you know, well, it's not outside the realms of possibility that, you know, extraterrestrials or whoever could have been visiting this planet for, well, since year dot. I mean, that goes back to them coming, you know, just checking up on the planet every now and again, taking research notes and going back and reporting findings. I like it. Uh, John, your last question is from Luke. Um, and what he's, he's sent in a couple of questions, but I'm going to make it a little more um, compact for, for the late hour. Um, he talks about Bob Bigelow and more recently James Fox, both using statements along the lines of they are already among us. What do you think Bob Bigelow and James Fox mean when they say that they are among us already? Uh, it could be two things, right? Um, it could be one thing I, I, I think I brought up on the podcast last time we talked was uh, Robert Bigelow saying that they're sitting right under our noses. And it's right in front of us. And it could be this idea that, you know, the gods and this whole story that this whole history that exists is actually the phenomena. And then that would mean that every mosque, every religious temple that exists around the world is actually an alien temple. And that changes the whole scope of of what you're living every day. You know what I mean? That changes everything for a lot of people. Um, I think it could be that. And I think it could also be um, this humanoid aspect, right? We see the anthropomorphic aspect and we know that there's like the hybrid program and we've heard stories of humanoid looking aliens throughout history. If there are humanoid looking aliens, I mean, they'd be living among us. That's just, just plain and simple. If there are humanoid look, if there's one out there, he's living among us. You know, what I mean, it's not a. It, we'd have to disregard the the humanoid alien theory, you know, where they look like us, uh, because if there are, if there is a species that looks just like us, maybe we are created in its image, and also, maybe they are walking among us. I don't I like know. It. Yeah. And last one for yourself, Dan. Uh, Derek sent in uh, discussing the story of Atlantis he believes is true or potentially could be true that survivors help South Americans and Egyptians build pyramids other structures that we know we see all around the world which just seem to tie up even though when they were built these people in these different continents would have had no idea of each other um, so potentially if they went to live underground or out of sight um, they'd be so advanced now several thousand years head start on us and Dan I think it was yourself that mentioned that earlier as well that you know if they had a tic-tac what could they have now what are your thoughts on that that they can now then use huge amounts of energy to shift space time gravity and whatnot yeah um, like, like I said earlier big big fan of the idea um, especially when it comes to the underground stuff um, one, one of the things that I remember from the Nimitz case was where the objects were disappearing to, which was near Guadalupe Island. And right near where they were disappearing, there are these massive unexplored lava tubes that just head into the planet. Like, is it a coincidence that they disappeared into the water near there? Or 
is that an easy way of getting to home base? I like it. And the last one, I'm going to not answer this because we've discussed some of it, but Shauna sent us in uh, some really interesting thoughts and we've discussed a little bit of it. But I'm going to finish the podcast um, reading her last couple of sentences. You've got to wonder whether or not an alien race shares our concept of good and evil. That's probably how we'll judge them. So again, can we be absolutely sure they'll come out of hiding with good intentions? In the 2016 movie called Arrival, here lies that movie's paradox. The fear is all our own. If anything, these aliens came to share their wisdom, to forge an alliance, to make humans better off. They they came because they believe in our species. Too bad that we don't, at least not yet. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. It has been a pleasure recording with you. It's been almost three hours. Thank you to the listeners for listening along as well. I'll just say uh, a final goodbye to each of you individually. Dave, thank you very much. No problem. Cheers, Andy. It's been great. John, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Had a great time, man. Awesome. And Dan, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I promise to give things reasonable scores in the future. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, listeners, once again. Hope you enjoyed. Please send us feedback. Remember, check out Shadows Your Mind magazine with Dave. Make sure you're following Dan uh, Zignal on Twitter and checking out his Redbubble store as well. Some cool new products. I've seen some uh, early prototypes of uh, that should be coming out soon for you too. And Uh, uh, Yeah, hopefully. And of course, John, uh, the Undead Gaucho, as you know him, check out and subscribe his YouTube channel too, folks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was wet I called up my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should scare me and I don't know what it because it doesn't really scare me